Hi there, it's Anita Johnson, and just a quick request before we get started. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you catch our podcast. That helps other people to find us. And of course, give us a high rating. Thanks, and here's the show. Making, making, making contact. Making contact. <laughs> I'm Lucy King, and on today's Making Contact... The more people that, you know, that they got out of Echo Park, the less people that were there to, to fight for it. Our friends from the podcast 70 Million bring us part one of Punished and Persecuted for Being Unhoused. It's a story about a community of unhoused people that came together in Echo Park in Los Angeles and how they were evicted by force in a massive police showdown, even though hundreds of protesters showed up to defend them. We knew that we were going to stay there, we were going to fight till the very end. We learn about how people who are unhoused are criminalized and punished simply for trying to survive on the streets of L.A. The loudest refrain is strategies that inevitably punish people or threaten people or push them down or further into poverty or into the criminal justice system. Stay tuned. All that and more coming up. California is the most populous state in the United States, and it has the largest number of people who are unhoused. In Los Angeles, where our next story takes place, 42,000 people are experiencing homelessness. All over the state, laws are being passed that would further criminalize homelessness. In Sacramento, voters approved Measure O to ban more than four people from camping together. And Governor Newsom recently signed SB 1338 to create the CARE Court, which Human Rights Watch has criticized as promoting, quote, a system of involuntary coerced treatment enforced by an expanded judicial infrastructure. They say that it would just remove unhoused people from public spaces without fully addressing their needs. To start us off, here's reporter Mark Betancourt with the story of the Echo Park community and encampment in Los Angeles. March 24, 2021. Hundreds of police officers, many in riot gear, amassed in a parking lot near Dodger Stadium. The staging area was only a few minutes' drive from Echo Park, where a group of unhoused people had been living in tents for more than a year. The city had been transferring people in the camp to temporary housing for months. Now the police were coming to close the park and remove anyone who tried to stay. We had, like, people on the lookout kind of driving up and down Sunset, just, like, seeing what was going on, seeing if there's any, like, police or sanitation trucks incoming. Ashley Bennett is an advocate for unhoused people and an organizer with Ground Game LA, a grassroots nonprofit. She'd worked with the people living in Echo Park for more than a year, helping them get through some very tough times by building a small community. In the process, she'd become part of an extended family, and she was there that day to help defend it. And I remember getting a picture of, like, dozens of cop cars staged at Dodger Stadium. And I, I remember seeing it, and I was like, there's no way that's for us. Like, we're a peaceful community of, like, a few people are left. Like, there's no way there that, that police response is for us. I, I just feel like I was in denial of, like, what was about to happen. But then someone, like, sent us word that, like, oh, yeah, no, they're coming. They're coming that direction. And I was like, oh, my, we are not ready for this. We sent messages out to, like, all different movement groups being like, this is really happening. We need as many people as possible here to defend the park. Like, please send anyone that you can. Hundreds of people responded, 
unhoused and housed Angelinos alike. Student journalist Emily Holzhauser captured the day on video. That evening, a woman named Queen, a resident of the park encampment, climbed onto a park bench and gave a speech to the crowd. Because I've been here for 30 years. My mother sold corn on that corner. So whatever's happening tonight, hits home. They're ready and they're coming hard. But you know what we have and they will never have? Cora. We have heart. We have love for this place. The police arrived after dark. There were more than 400 officers, and they were armed with less than lethal projectile launchers and batons. They blocked off streets around the park and told the protesters to leave. Throughout that night and into the next night, protesters refused to disperse. Some shined strobe lights and yelled at the police. The police responded with force. This sound was captured by freelance journalist Vishal Singh, who tweeted that he was hit with a baton and almost crushed by officers while filming. Police were hitting these people with their batons. Here's Queen. We had seen people being dragged out already. We had seen people being pushed, being hit. I personally saw one, one he must have been like 17, 18. They were holding him by his wrists and by his feet, like carrying him like this. He was knocked out. In October of 2020, Queen was 32 years old and living in the Bay Area, studying to be an electrician. One day, she was back in L.A. visiting her family when she was hit by a car. Technically, it was like a hit and run. Um, I was left almost for dead. She was in the hospital for three months. Not being able to go back to San Francisco, I lost everything. My apartment that I had there, the job that I had there, everything that I had, and then come, and then being in the hospital, coming out, I didn't really have anything. There are a thousand pathways into homelessness. Disability, addiction, or mental illness can be factors. Sometimes all it takes is an accident. But studies have shown that for most people, it comes down to one thing, how difficult it is to get and keep housing. Queen worried that if she stayed in her childhood apartment, it could put her whole family at risk. Her five daughters and one granddaughter already lived there with her mom and several other family members. And she says the landlord had been threatening to evict them because of the crowding. It's one of those things that you have to decide which of the two is the lesser evil. Do I stay here and cram everything more up and let my family see me go through this much pain? Or, you know, my idea is like, okay, I'm just, I'm only a block away. I'm, I live at the park anyway, pretty much, because I'm there all the time. And just stay there. There had been a handful of people living in tents in Echo Park along the shores of the lake for years. Recently, the encampment had started to grow into a small community. Queen knew many of the people living there. So she decided to get a tent and set it up in the park. Camping in L.A. city parks is illegal. So is camping in other public spaces. One city ordinance called Section 4118 prohibits sitting, lying, sleeping, or keeping personal belongings in any public right-of-way, meaning sidewalks or streets. In 2021, the L.A. City Council amended 4118 to allow the council to designate special enforcement zones where unhoused people are given a deadline to leave. Any belongings left after the deadline are cleared out by city sanitation workers. 
anyone who doesn't leave is removed by police, and they get a citation. People who resist are charged with a misdemeanor and either jailed or fined. One analysis created by the campaign of Kenneth Mejia, a 2022 candidate for L.A. City Controller, showed that special enforcement zones cover about 20% of the city's sidewalks. Unhoused people are put in a position where they can't avoid breaking the law. The system is rigged against them. And that's not a metaphor. Ashley Bennett, the organizer from Ground Game LA, says the special enforcement zones are designed for this purpose. There are definitely known encampments, larger encampments, that you can see very clearly that are targeted. Um, By the way, some of these um, zones have been drawn. Um, And then there are individuals as well. You know, we have people like one one or two people in an encampment that have just been there for a really long time. And then you'll see like a sign go up that says just like, one little swath of the street exactly where those people are staying is what's outlawed and what is going to be subject to being swept on a weekly basis. Ashley used to be an outreach worker with the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority, or LASA. It's a joint agency of the city and county, and part of Ashley's job there was to reach out to people before and during enforcements, which he calls sweeps, and help connect them with services, including helping to get them on a path to housing. A 2018 U.S. Circuit Court decision said cities can't criminalize unhoused people who sleep in public spaces unless they can offer an alternative. So Lassa's job is to try to fill in that gap. Ashley says the city should be focusing on the people who need services the most. But that's not how it always plays out. Oftentimes we'd get messages directly from council offices, and that would be a priority in our day. Like if an encampment is being complained about, that's the first thing we're going out in the morning to do. So would would it be that explicit where the council office would actually tell you we're getting complaints about these people? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. All of this set the stage for what happened at Echo Park Lake. When only a few people were living in the park, there weren't many complaints about it. And for the most part, the city left them alone. In late 2019, a few young, black, unhoused men were tired of being criminalized elsewhere in the city. So they came to the park and set up their tents. They would become the leaders of what grew into a community and a movement. I wasn't able to talk to any of them, but Ashley knows them well. She started doing outreach in the park right around the time they arrived. They essentially just became the core group that people checked in with when they came to the camp or if they needed anything. Um, if they needed food, if they needed a tent, if they needed a sleeping bag, like if somebody was giving them problems, um, they just became kind of the unofficial like keepers of the camp. That organization, sense of community, and fewer sweeps attracted people to the camp. More tents went up. Because there was a concentration of need in the park, services started showing up. Nonprofit organizations and city-funded programs that would bring food or a truck with a mobile shower. Then the Los Angeles Police Department and city park rangers started coming around, telling people the park was closed at night and they'd have to leave. The leaders started to do know-your-rights trainings, uh, which taught them how to talk to cops, how to counter these situations. Um, And we started beginning to formulate, you know, plans for if comprehensive operation did come down, like, what would we do as a community response? Let's actually see if we can stop these sweeps in an alternative way, Um, because something's got to give. The chance came in January of 2020, when sanitation workers showed up at the park to clear out the encampment. The camp leaders decided to resist the sweep and refused to go. 
with help from Ashley and organizers from a group called Street Watch LA, along with dozens of activists who came out to support the camp. It turned into a full-fledged protest. I remember they, like, one of their tactics ended up being, like, driving one of their sanitation trucks, like, onto the sidewalk. And um, just the immediate thing in my mind was something that I learned, like, a de-escalation tactic from, um, like, an environmental action that I'd been to years before. It's just like, okay, like, if a vehicle's coming at you, like, if you feel like it's safe, sit down in front of it because, like, that's taking a non-aggressive stance and, like, they can't move forward or they're at fault, like, the person in the vehicle. So I was like, okay, great. Like, let's stop this. I'm going to sit down. Everybody sit down. Um, so, yeah, just, like, things like that, kind of reacting in the moment and ultimately we were able to stop that sweep, um, which was amazing. Uh, but that's the action that ended up getting me fired <laughs> from Lhasa. Ground Game LA, the grassroots organization that she'd helped found a few years earlier, offered her a job where she could keep working with unhoused communities. Then the situation changed. Tonight, Los Angeles County, where 10 million people live, has declared a public health emergency. This comes as there's a recognition of our interdependence that requires of this moment that we direct a statewide order for people to stay at home. But not everyone could stay home. Unhoused people everywhere were stuck in public, exposed. And for the people living at Echo Park Lake, there was another problem. The head of the pandemic, like all the services stopped, all of that got taken away. Uh, and you ha- saw the leaders of the camp be like, okay, well, shoot, all this stuff has been taken off the map. Like, let's build our own. Like, let's build our own showers. They took away our showers. Let's build our own. Um, they took away the food distribution. Let's build our own. Wall Street was a new arrival at the camp. He says he had been unhoused for a few years, since fighting a wrongful DUI cost him so much he couldn't afford to keep the room he was renting. He's a freelance software programmer. He had been living on the streets, teaching himself to code on his laptop, charging it wherever he could until police chased him away. When he got to Echo Park Lake, he jumped right in, helping to build the camp shower. It was a wooden structure with gravel underneath to control drainage. You know, I've worked on roofing, I've done construction, I've done... All types of things. So, yeah, I can work a hammer. And, you know, and we did it. And we didn't have all the tools we needed, but we got it built and it worked and it was beautiful. And people got to use it. There was also a library, a garden, a pantry where the encampment gathered food donations. Streetwatch set up a charging table where people could charge their phones. The camp pooled some money and gave a few camp residents jobs, like cleaning up trash in the park or organizing donations so they could earn a little bit of extra cash and benefit from being part of the camp's social fabric. I was, I was amazed. Just, I got to see really, you know, how, how, how much of a, how promising it was and how really special the whole, the whole place was. Every meeting I went to, every time I talked to them, it was about community, you know? This is our community. You have dignity, you have purpose. You give each other purpose and, and, and you work together and you build something. Queen and Wall Street met during an outdoor church service at the park, organized by local church leaders. I fell in love with it the first time we met. You can, you can see a lot when you look into someone's eyes, you know? So with her, I saw a lot of love, and I, and I try to give that, you know, when I first saw her, I try to show as much love as I could. My dad was like, you know, like, he had come to the service with me, 
So um, it doesn't matter how old you are, but if you're with your dad and there's boys, it's like <laughs> um, being on the street, being a woman, you learn to be tough. Very little room for, for affection. And um, with him, I didn't have to fight anymore. He saw me for me. Queen's tent was on the north end of the park where the playground was. There were several families set up there too, and she took it upon herself to try to make sure the area was safe. I would just walk around all the time to make sure everyone was okay. So the whole thing was, if you see a needle, if you see anything on the floor, it doesn't belong, throw it away for the kids. If someone wasn't keeping their area clean, for example, Queen and others would respond as a community. There were people there that were hoarding way too many things, you know, and so we would come together and talk as a group and we would approach the the person and uh, address that you know, address the issue and ask very nicely, you know, like, hey, you know, we all live here. This is the issue we're having. Is that something we can work on? They were more open to it because then at the same time, when they needed something, Queen's got me, you know? So it's like a give and take, take and give. Part of a community, you know? And then also like looking out for each other because we all kind of had clear that as soon as the fighting or drug use started to come out or violence, then there would be a reason for the cops to be like, well, they're causing havoc. They're not letting the the neighbors sleep. They're not let, letting the residents sleep, which is why we try to not have that issue so we wouldn't get kicked out. If there is a, a, a crime near an encampment, it gets reported and it gets immediately attributed to the encampment um, when it might be somebody preying on somebody in the encampment or it may be just adjacent and and, and, and unrelated to the encampment. Here's Mike Bonin, the council member from L.A.'s West Side. It inevitably leads to, oh, okay, the solution to this, this is not a homelessness problem, this is a crime problem, therefore the solution to this must be more police officers. As complaints about the Echo Park encampment piled up, the police became more of a constant presence. They always had dark sunglasses on. As soon as they they get out of the car, they would put their hand on the belt, on on their weapon, to kind of like... To me, it's like saying, you know, I can use it, you know, if I want to. Nighttime was hardest. Helicopter, always at night, always at night. You can't, you can't really sleep. You know it's LAPD because it would be flashing the lights. Um, the helicopters, the cops coming and surrounding a tent, flashing lights and scaring the shit people. Queen found it hard to get enough rest and the stress wore her down. It meant... I was grumpy the next day. I wasn't all the way together, literally no sleep. Um, I was very upset most of the time. It just, it took a massive toll on people, on their morale, on their spirit, on their physical. And a lot of people packed up their tent and, and finally decided to go. Wall Street thinks this treatment was all part of a plan to reduce the population of the park. The more people that, you know, that they got out of Echo Park, the less people that were there to, to fight for it. You're listening to Making Contact and part one of Punished and Persecuted for Being Unhoused from the podcast 70 Million. If you like what you're hearing, you can visit us online for more information or leave us a comment at radioproject.org. And now, back to the show. After the pandemic began, the Centers for Disease Control recommended that unhoused encampments not be cleared unless housing options were available. People displaced from camps could be cut off from services, and if they were sick, they could spread COVID-19. 
the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, had issued a directive to the city government that everyone living in Echo Park had to be offered housing before they could be removed. Councilmember O'Farrell promised the same thing. Lhasa outreach workers started showing up in the camp with more frequency. So did workers from Urban Alchemy, a nonprofit outreach group hired by Councilmember O'Farrell to supplement Lhasa's work. So at first they, they started coming in very little days and very slowly, and it was more of like a friendly kind of um, people around there, like picking up trash, giving out coffee, giving out donuts. And then slowly it became into like, oh, well, we're going to sweep and you need to go here. You need to go to the PRKs. PRK stands for Project Room Key. It was a new program to protect the most vulnerable unhoused people from COVID-19. Elderly people who were living outside or those with health conditions were being offered hotel rooms where they could ride out the pandemic. It was paid for with funding from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. Camp residents had been asking the city to put them up somewhere safe for months, but it had been hard to get a room, and a lot of people were on waiting lists. But now, Queen says suddenly rooms were being offered to everyone in the Echo Park Lake encampment. So right off the bat to me was like, why are, you, why are all these people getting rooms when there's been a massive line since way back then? So to me, it was just right off the bat, noticed it as being tactical, being um, like almost, I want to say a chess move. Councilmember O'Farrell declined my request for an interview. But a spokesperson told me that the park was closed only, quote, once transitional housing placements were secured for every single person experiencing homelessness at Echo Park Lake. Mayor Garcetti's office never responded to my request for comment. Even before the park was emptied, there was debate about whether interim housing, like Project Room Key Rooms, counts as housing. O'Farrell claimed the park residents were on the path to a better life. Some residents of the encampment believed the city was just getting them out of the way. Mike Bonin gave me his perspective. There are so many people in Los Angeles who are angry and frustrated about encampments. And they should be. I mean, who the hell isn't doff about the fact that, you know, tens of thousands of people are sleeping outdoors? Uh, but that manifests itself in an anger towards people who are unhoused. Uh, and that lends itself to solutions that, that, that eventually get down to, let's just get them out of my sight. Mike says no one official is responsible for homelessness and everything that causes it. By the time neighbors complain about an unhoused encampment and demand urgent action, the city has limited options for how to respond. Most people who are housed probably don't perceive it this way. Um, but basically, they are asking the police, the sanitation department, uh, the, the, the city, uh, to you know, use the, the, the power of the state to punish people who are unhoused. Right? With, with a limited number of resources, with a limited number of dollars, the, the, the loudest refrain is uh, strategies that inevitably punish people or, or threaten people or, or, or push them down or, or further into poverty or into the criminal justice system, instead of voices that are saying, spend more on, on jobs, on housing, on health care, on education, spend more on mental health, on substance abuse recovery. In the early months of 2021, as the city went all out to offer interim housing to the residents of Echo Park Lake, word got around. Unhoused people from all over the city came to the park in the hopes of getting the same offer. From the city's perspective, the situation looked dire. 
we knew that something was coming. In the days leading up to it, it was obvious because, you know, there were so many outreach workers there. We were getting information from the inside, like that, oh yeah, there's a big sweep that's going to happen. When we would look at each other's eyes, um, wherever you would go around the park, there was a sadness in everyone's eyes because we knew it was going to happen. But at the same time, we knew who was going to be the last ones. We knew that we were going to stay there. We were going to fight till the very end. And in that came a bittersweet solidarity, unification. And it just, it was almost like the feeling of Christmas. You know how Christmas, everybody wants to get together. Everybody wants to like, you know, be there for each other. It was like that. It's like when we decided as a, as a community, the homeless encampments of a park community, that no matter what happened, we would always look out for each other. And we would fight for our home because that's the only home that we had. This is what community looks like. On March 24th, when people at the camp got word that the LAPD was preparing to close the park and hundreds of protesters came to defend the camp, Queen and Wall Street were moved by the outpouring of support. I saw a gathering of people that I have never seen in Echo Park other than the movements of Cesar Chavez. We, I saw cultures come together. I saw businesses come out. I saw moms, grandmas, uncles, children come out. A total of 187 people were arrested during the protest, including several journalists and legal observers. While the police were facing off with protesters, city contractors were on the other side of the park, driving poles into the ground and connecting them with chain-link fencing, section by section. Reporter Jonah Valdez captured this sound. Here's Ashley. We were like, there's no way they're going to actually fence this whole thing off in one night. Like, that can't happen. That's not humanly possible. Like, they can't put up a fence around this whole place in a night. We got in there before they managed to close that little part off. But literally by 3 in the morning, that fence was done. The night before, police had given the remaining residents of the camp 24 hours to leave. Queen and Wall Street, along with a handful of other camp residents, spent that night inside the fence after everyone else went home. To me personally, the silence killed me. The silence hurt. Um, a lot of fear. I felt a lot of fear of, like, losing my house again. More than anything, I just felt very, very lost. Like, what am I going to do now? As the sky lightened, she could see that the police had blocked off all the exits from the fenced-in area. Anyone who came out wasn't allowed back in. Ever. A crowd of protesters came back and huddled outside the fence. But by this point, there was nothing anyone could do to stop the eviction. That night, Ayman Ahmed, one of the men who had founded the camp, and another camp resident, David Bush Lilly, decided to be the last ones to resist. They sat down inside the fence and stayed there until police came in and arrested them. They were released shortly after the park would stay closed to everyone for two months. Ashley and other activists raised enough money to put some of the last residents of the camp up in motel rooms while they tried to figure out what to do next. Queen and Wall Street spent almost a month in their motel room. 
Queen became close with Ashley, who helped her apply for a job at Ground Game LA, and she got it. Thanks to her new income, Queen and Wall Street were able to get an apartment through a LASA-funded program called Rapid Rehousing. They're among only a handful of former Echo Park Lake residents who ended up with permanent housing. That was reporter Mark Betancourt from part one of Punished and Persecuted for Being Unhoused from the podcast 70 Million. Of the 183 people who were evicted from Echo Park, only 13 are in permanent housing as of last April, according to researchers with the After Echo Park Lake Research Collective and UCLA Luskin Institute. At least seven have passed away. Project Roomkey, the statewide initiative mentioned in the story, is documented to have many problems, from what critics call a highly carceral environment, to a number of deaths in the Vallejo program, as reported by the Vallejo Sun. More info about Project Roomkey is in part two of Punished and Persecuted for Being Unhoused. And that does it for today's show. Visit us at radioproject.org for more information. I'm Lucy King. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.